following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. I get to talk to you today about gratitude. It's one of my favorite topics. I did have a chance to hear Dave's sermon about humility. I was humbled. I had a chance to hear Perry's sermon around encouragement. I was encouraged, right? They were both really good. And today I get to talk about gratitude and I'm, I'm hope, hoping that you will be able to connect with gratitude. Uh, I know that gratitude has, has been the most important virtue or learning in my walk in recent decades with the Lord. I didn't get there the easy way. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But today we're going to go deep on gratitude, which may be the most important virtue. Cicero, who's not in the Bible, said gratitude is not only the most important virtue, that it's the parent of all the other virtues. Now, it's not a virtue competition here as we explore some of the core virtues of sovereign grace in our denomination and our church But I think gratitude is something special. You know, we're just a couple weeks away from Thanksgiving. And this topic, the idea of being grateful, the idea of being thankful, the idea of taking a moment to be intentional with expressing thanks to God is going to be top of mind just because we're in that cultural season of Thanksgiving. It's coming right around the corner. But will it last Past the Black Friday sales. This remains to be seen, but I think today's topic is going to serve us all well. And so whether you believe that gratitude is the most important topic or just an important topic, I do believe that gratitude can change your life because it can change the way that you look at God and the way you look at your role in living out your life in God's world. I actually do think the most important virtue really is humility. And, you know, maybe that's why Dave started there first. But I will contend that the path to true humility is actually through gratitude. Gratitude gets you to humility. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So our big idea for today is that gratitude is the evidence. It's not the only evidence, but it's certainly the evidence of a mature and healthy Christian faith. Mature kind of speaks to the time. The longer you go, the more your life should be marked by gratitude because you've seen God be faithful and you understand just how much he's done for you. And I chose the word healthy because it feels to me like a multivitamin. It's not a one-and-done thing with gratitude. Gratitude is something that needs to be practiced more regularly because we drift. We get it clear, and then we go back to our activities, and we drift away from what we know is true. But when we get our arms around gratitude, get our mind and our heart around gratitude, it shifts the way that we obey God. It shifts the way we live our life because it shifts our pursuits And it shifts the way we see things because it becomes a lens by which we see everything else. And scripture is replete 
with verses around giving thanks to God. And I'm just going to hit a few of them, and then we'll get to our text. James 1.17 teaches us that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And we also see warnings. Romans. Talking about the hardness of hearts of people who refuse to believe. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's a warning. And then we see this future in heaven, this very throne room of God where the elders and the the angels are there and they're singing praises and just exuding, erupting in praise to God, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We can see that we're this moment in the future in heaven And we will just be erupting in praise when we get to know God even better. You know, the text that I chose for today is a detailed instruction from Moses. From Moses to the children of Israel who have just come out of Egypt. They're somewhere in that wilderness where I was literally hanging out two weeks ago. And he's giving them very detailed instructions about how they are to behave and how they are to think and how they are to live their lives before God. As you know, Deuteronomy is not an easy book to read because it's so prescriptive, right? And the text today is a warning and even an admonition to be grateful. So we're going to read the text and then I'm going to add a little bit of context to it. And then we'll launch in. So please, would you join me? Let's stand. And I'm going to read the text from Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 11. It says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Heavenly Father, 
I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be soft to you today. Lord, that our ears would be open to you today. That we would get another glimpse of your power and your, your majesty and your might. We would get another glimpse of the price that was paid to redeem us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to, to gratitude and proper thanksgiving to you. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So point one in your outline is that gratitude doesn't come naturally to us as people. Anybody that has raised children knows that to be true. The people of God should be the most grateful of all the people in the world. It was true of the children of Israel that were being instructed by Moses, and it's true of those of us that have been grafted into salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. And so Moses is training the people. In fact, before the verse we just read is our text, we'll go back a couple chapters in chapter 6, and Moses is doing one of those train the trainers moments, right? He's saying, Here's the truth, and I'm going to train you, and you need to train your children. And this is what he says. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He's saying, keep God's word and God's law. Close, train your children. Something that I had not known or forgotten in, in Israel, most buildings, whether it's a, you know, an Airbnb or a hotel or just a public building, when you walk through a door, you'll see a little tiny case, kind of like at a 45 degree angle, fixed to the, the door case. It kind of looked like a magnet or something, and my, my brother's like, what is that? My older brother. Uh, and it's called a mezuzah, and a mezuzah is where the children of Israel to this day will tuck a little piece of scripture into the mezuzah and attach it to the door, kind of in their effort to comply with this instruction after all of these centuries. So Moses is doing a train train the trainer. In verse 7, Sorry, in chapter 7, before our text, Moses is reminding the children of Israel, you know, this is God's story. It's not so much about you. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, he says in Deuteronomy 7, 6. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And I see this as Moses reminding them, it's not about you. He's attempting to preempt the thing that happens to all of us, pride. Because when God starts to bless, we start to slide into this mindset that perhaps the blessings from God are because we somehow have arrived or we somehow deserve it. 
But then when we come to our text in verse 8, it's really, in, in chapter 8 rather, it's really a warning. It's a warning to the children of Israel to guard their hearts and to guard their mind. And as we pull up our text, you're going to see that warning relative to their thinking several times. In verse 11, he says, take care lest you forget. Verse 14, he says, and then your heart will be lifted up. Verse 17, beware lest you say, where? In your heart. By my power and my strength have gotten me this wealth. But, verse 18, you shall remember. And then the warning in 19, and if you forget, all of these things will come upon you. And it seems to me that Moses is showing the children of Israel that their level of gratitude is going to impact their level of obedience. And their level of obedience, particularly under that season of the law, directly relates to the level of blessing. So in that universe, it's your gratitude drives your obedience and informs your obedience, which informs whether you're going to be blessed or whether you're going to be cursed. In their instance, further on, towards the end of the book, Deuteronomy, Moses gets very, very detailed, amazingly detailed about the blessings that can come upon the children of Israel if they will obey, and bone-chilling descriptions of what can happen to the children, what will happen to the children of Israel when they don't obey. It's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Deuteronomy 28.2, after describing all of these blessings, you're going to be blessed when you're in the field. You're going to be blessed when you're in the city. Your animals are going to produce well. You're going to be wealthy. Your kids are going to be well-behaved. They're going to get good grades. Everything's going to be perfect. He says, and these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of your God. But by 28.15, He says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall overtake you. And Moses, speaking through the Holy Spirit, he sees what's coming. And what he's telling them is when you end up in that place that is a literal nightmare where you're besieged and you're taken hostage And people resort to eating their own children, and they're so selfish they won't even share. I mean, it's just horrible. It's stuff that's unimaginable. But those things have actually happened in the nation of Israel's history. It's been playing out for generations. And further in verse 28, chapter 28, sorry. Moses says this in 2847. He brings the punchline to where did they go off track? Deuteronomy 2847 says this. I think we have a slide here. Because you do not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all these things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies 
whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. And unfortunately, the people of Israel have been living out these curses and some blessings for all of these generations, for all of us to see and be informed by. I stayed in Jerusalem just a couple weeks ago, and I had a chance to look over at that temple mount where there's supposed to be a beautiful temple, but it's been destroyed many times. And you know what's there now, right? A Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock, and everybody's on edge And their old city is divided into these four quarters. And we stayed one morning on the edge of the the Arab quarter, right near, I think, the Jaffa Gate, right near what they believe is the garden tomb. And I went for a run one morning in the city. It only felt a little sacrilegious. But I was, you know, I was like, they rush through the city, they run on the walls. You guys remember that song growing up? If you're from the 80s and 90s, you remember that worship song. I may or may not have been singing that as I'm running through the old city early in the morning. And I came around a corner, and there's the IDF soldiers, young people with their automatic weapons, and they're all hanging there, probably smoking, because they all smoke. And they stop me. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, what? And they're like, that's the Muslim quarter. Don't, you're not going in there. (laughs) You're right. And I just turned, and I, I, I ran the other direction. You know, that is the curse at work in real life. This is what they live in. And so part of the reason I wanted to go through that scripture was to reconnect us to that line of thinking about how important gratitude and and thankfulness and keeping the truth of how merciful and kind God has been to us because God is merciful and kind towards us, not because we deserve it, in front of us. That is at the core of thanksgiving and gratitude. And when we don't keep a good grip on gratitude, we are easily susceptible to thinking that eventually makes us delusional and takes us a long way away from the Lord. I'm going to teach you something I call the terrorist manifesto today. Terrorist manifesto is this. The righteousness of my cause justifies my bad behavior. That is how every terrorist approaches the world. I have something I think is true that it justifies me doing something that is wrong. And I'm going to explain it away because my cause is so righteous, I'm going to expect the rest of you all to overlook my bad behavior. And this isn't just for literal terrorists. This is actually for people that are narcissistic around you that run right over the top of you. If you dig down a little deep, you'll see in their mind they've justified, I deserve it, therefore it's okay. Right? I see that happening In my own life from time to time when I get my eyes off of the goodness of God. You see, we can start to envy something. And then we take on this grievance. And eventually that grievance becomes bitterness. And then eventually I'm deluded. And people just move away. Right? We know that James teaches us that our desires will will give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, produces death. 
right? That's the warning when we stop focusing on what God says is true. But you know, you can't be hateful and grateful at the same time. If you're struggling with bitterness and you see somebody and your heart rate just, you're like, I'm upset. Go to gratitude. God can work on that. And this gratitude leads to obedience, and it's a really important thing. But gratitude, as I said earlier, doesn't come naturally to us. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. As I was preparing for this sermon, uh, somewhere on social, I saw this video, I believe it was. And the guy said, you know why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the middle of the garden? He said, because Adam and Eve had to literally walk past all of their abundance to find their lack. I thought that was powerful. Had to walk past everything that God had said, you can have it, enjoy, to find that one thing that he said, this isn't good for you. That's, those are our original parents. There's something in each of us that naturally has to be overcome where we're not oriented towards gratitude. The definition of gratitude, should have given this to you earlier. Maybe you can write this at the top of your sheet. Definition of gratitude that I like to use is appreciation for a gift received. Appreciation for a gift received. Our original parents, Adam and Eve, they demonstrated ingratitude. You know what that makes them, other than human? An ingrate. You ever heard that word ingrate? It's not a word we use very often. If I called you an ingrate, it would be the equivalent of calling you like a barbarian or you're a monster. I mean, an, in, an ingrate is like a massive insult. But it's just, it's just somebody that doesn't properly appreciate what they're supposed to be appreciating. And I think in a lot of ways, that is our natural default. Or in my case, it's certainly my natural drift. And gratitude has to be cultivated. It's not going to come upon you accidentally. It's something that has to be grown and focused on and practiced. That's why most of you have probably heard the phrase gratitude practice. It's more like a verb. It's an action more than a, more than a feeling. And our natural man is not oriented towards gratitude. But as we practice gratitude, we begin to trust our loving Heavenly Father more. And that makes us want to obey even more. And then we obey. And again, I'm not trying to talk about saved or unsaved. I'm trying to talk about when we obey, we are going to experience joy and blessings from obedience. Jesus says in John 14:21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, It's he who loves me, and I'll love him, and I'll reveal myself to him. He says, my father will love him, and then I'll reveal. If you want more revelation of God, it will be tied 
to your obedience. Moving on to point two. Gratitude is a motivating response to the gospel. When we understand and we immerse and we, we turn our eyes to the truth of the gospel, our response will be gratitude, which will motivate us to go live differently. Uh, I want to share in a minute just kind of how I began to wrestle with, with gratitude. But I will tell you this. I believe that our level of gratitude can be changed. You're not stuck. That's the good news. And I'm eager to share with you something I like to call a gratitude adjustment that I use. Uh, you're going to want this. write this one in your notes. It's really easy. But first, I want to share with you how I came about um, to care about gratitude. Uh, I was in my late 20s, had a chance to sell a family business, had some financial success, had some freedom beyond what I ever thought I'd have. And I entered a season when I had more than I'd ever had materially, and I began to drift morally, and I began to compromise and sin. And then, of course, I had the consequences of sin, which were separation and guilt and shame. And I finally had to come clean before the Lord and my wife and others. And I got to the point where I'm like, all right, Lord, what went wrong? What do I do next? And the Lord in his kindness showed me that where I had been very driven and very chastened, I had not been grateful. And he used an interesting verse to get my attention. It's the verse that's in the Old Testament and the New Testament where it says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. That's a strong word. And I'm like, Just exactly what did Esau do? And as you begin to dive into it, you see what Esau did. Quite simply, he traded his birthright for a bowl of hearty beef stew. He took something that was eternal, something that was meaningful, and he didn't properly value it, and he traded it for something that was temporal. And the Lord began to show me that that's what was happening in my own heart. I had this gap in my level of gratitude. And it was costing me because I wasn't valuing and protecting the most important things that he'd given me. My testimony, my freedom, my marriage, my job. I just wasn't, I was so focused on filling some hole, I wasn't properly thanking him and valuing all that he'd given me. And I began to think and talk and even write a bit about this. And in my universe, I was in the world of entrepreneurs and people starting companies. And I began to understand that that community and, and myself are probably some of the least grateful people. Because we're so forward focused on, I want to solve this problem. I want to fix this thing. We spend all of our time out here and we actually never stop and and appreciate all that God has done for me and how far I've already come. Just living out here and never stopping to thank God 
for what he'd already done. The other thing that I observed in that community of people is that we began to believe that, and this happens in our culture, that satisfaction can somehow be found through some form of achievement. If I can just get into the right school, if I can just get the right income, if I can just have the right house, if I can just be in the right social circles, if I can just have the right clothes, right? There's this, there's this bucket called achievement, and many people fall into this belief that they can be happy if they can just achieve. But satisfaction doesn't live on the other side of achievement. I came to understand satisfaction lives on the other side of gratitude. I can get thankful, and in my case, as a believer, as in our case, as believers, we're thankful to God. We're not just thankful to some the universe. We're thankful to God. And as we're more thankful to God, we begin to feel the feelings we were chasing in the first place around satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment because we reorient ourselves to truth. The truth is, God acted towards us and provided through Christ everything we need to live. Therefore, we need to value and protect it. And the way we do that is by practicing gratitude. And so what I found is, as an entrepreneur, I call it this, this curvature of the earth. You'd set a goal, and you get closer to the goal, and now you, you see this other goal, and you just bypass that first goal, and now you're off to the other goal, and there's this endless chasing that happens, and this happens not just to entrepreneurs, it happens to everybody, particularly in a culture like ours, which, by the way, is the most prosperous, affluent culture that's ever been in existence. That's, the, as Dave would say, the air we breathe. And if we're not careful, we can keep chasing, and we're measuring ourselves by our desires and how far we are from our desires instead of doing what Dan, Dan Sullivan tells us. Measuring backwards. If we're going to measure, why measure how far we are from what we want? Why don't we measure backwards? How far have we already come? Where has God brought us? What has he delivered us from? Dan, how I mentioned, he, he teaches entrepreneurs and he says they're just horrible in this particular area. No matter what they get, they're miserable. And he wrote on the board, the three letters, A-M-B. He said, you will be much happier if you always measure backwards. And I think that will preach. I think that is biblical. Look how far the Lord has taken us if we will always measure backwards. But as a believer, I know that true satisfaction is only found in Christ And even though I talk a lot about gratitude to entrepreneurs, eventually I look for that wedge where I can say, I'm not just thanking the universe, I'm thanking a God who knows me by name and provides all of the things that I need. All right, I want to share with you in our remaining time um, the gratitude adjustment that I use when I get off track, which is fairly often. Um, so when I'd get stressed, anxious, angry, frustrated, I found that I would normally, you know, often 
you know, taking a shower somewhere private. I'm just thinking, or just think, remind myself of God's goodness. Uh, just, just God's not angry. He's, he's a happy God. He created the world. I wasn't involved. He didn't consult with me. That's somewhat relieving to know. I'm not involved at that level, right? Uh, I would think about Jesus and that perfect sacrifice and Jesus willing, being willing to leave the glories of heaven to condescend as a lowly man, to be born in Bethlehem, to live out his life for those 33 years and to die on the cross. And I just think about, wow, leaving heaven, taking on the form of a man. And it's like, that's amazing. And I think about that. And then I think about, you know, my own salvation, like how much he, he's forgiven me personally. It's one thing to think about God and Jesus. It's another thing to kind of personalize it and think about how much the Lord has delivered me from. And and then I would start to kind of get more tactical, like, all right, what are the things that I'm thinking about that the Lord has given me to be responsible for? My life, my family. And I would use that process to kind of reorient myself to what's really going on here, that there is a God who sent his son to forgive me so that I can live out this Christian life here on earth. And imagine my surprise when... Uh, I discovered that God wasn't just two steps ahead of me. God was five million steps ahead of me. And one day it occurred to me that the most famous verse in all the Bible, perhaps the most succinct, direct description of the gospel, the most famous verse in the Bible is what? John 3.16. Now, I kid you not, you will see that it is laid out just like that gratitude adjustment that I walked through. John 3.16 teaches, for God so loved the world, he wasn't upset, right? He's happy. He's motivated by love that he gave his son, Christ, on that rescue mission, that whoever believes in him would not perish, that's salvation, but would have everlasting life. That's life. That's the life we live. When does everlasting life start? Way off in the yawn and the blue later on? Or does it, in fact, start the moment a sinner feels the weight of their sin, confesses that sin in true repentance, and allows the Spirit to regenerate them? That's when life anew, that's when being born again starts. It's, it's now. And so I began to understand, and I hope you'll understand, and remember, when you're frustrated, stressed, anxious, sideways, and you need to adjust your level of gratitude, John 3.16 is a great guide to think through. And sometimes I'll just breathe these items back to God in prayer when I'm needing to adjust my level of gratitude. I'll think about God's love, the beautiful world he created, and all these cool spots and that God's not upset and he's welcoming me into his kingdom and I'll just, I'll just pray those things back to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and I'll think about Jesus taking upon himself that mission and what that was like and what it cost him and what he suffered and endured the shame to bring us, to reconcile sinners to him. Now think about that price. And then I'll think about my own salvation. 
And this might be just a skosh controversial, but it shouldn't be. I think we live in a culture, I should say it differently. I think I like to not think about my sin. Why? Because it's embarrassing. I don't want to be seen as a sinner, right? I don't, I don't like to dwell on it. And we know there are verses that say God casts his sin as far away, our sin as far away as the east from the west. He doesn't remember it anymore. There's verses that say if our conscience condemns us, we have one who's greater than our conscience who can absolve us of, of that, that feeling. And those are true. But I think we go too far because I think sometimes we go so long without thinking about the weight of our sin, about the violations, about the lies, about the lack of faithfulness and truth and all the things that happen in our life that led us to the point where we concluded, I need a savior. And sometimes I think it does us well, at least in private before God, to recount those things, to get in touch with just how much God has forgiven us of. Spurgeon was writing about Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and he said, I'm pretty sure Bunyan would ascribe to himself sins he didn't even commit (laughs) just because he wanted to stay humble and keep it real with the Lord so that we can fully appreciate and live out this life in freedom. And the last part is we think about our own salvation. It says, Whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. And the way that I practice out this is I kind of think about my life in buckets, domains, if you will, little parts of God's kingdom that God has asked me to steward for his glory, for my benefit, and because it's part of his plan. And we each have domains. You have a domain as a, as a daughter or a son, maybe as a husband or a wife, in my case, as a grandfather of two, as a a business leader, as somebody who gets to speak to a church, as a member of a community group, as a board member of a nonprofit. And I can think about each of these domains individually, and I can pray into them, and I can express thanks to God after I've done the other things. I've thought about his love. I've thought about Christ's sacrifice. I've thought about my salvation. And now I'm to the point of like, okay, this is where I live down here in these domains. And how am I going to let the gratitude that I feel for God inviting me in to do his work, how is that gratitude going to inform and motivate me to care for these little bits of God's kingdom that he has entrusted to me? And if I went into that exercise stressed or angry or wondering about that thing I want, trust me, you go through that exercise with some sincerity. You're not worried about that stuff. You're reoriented to truth. I call that a gratitude adjustment because it adjusts the way we approach life because we've reoriented our heart and our mind back to what God said is true. And what better way to reorient ourselves to the truth than taking a look and holding up the gospel of Christ 
and what it means in our day-to-day life. And our final point this morning is how gratitude works as an antidote to some of the things that ail us the most, but also as a gateway to the things that we want the most. Gratitude is a great antidote to comparison and envy. Envy is actually something I struggled with. I sometimes struggle with it now. It's embarrassing because, like, man, for a kid who grew up in a commune in southern Oregon, you should, I have a lot to be thankful for. I don't, I shouldn't be envying anybody. You know, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, uh, When Peter betrays Jesus, and then Jesus graciously, graciously pulls him back. Peter, come over here for a little breakfast. Uh, Peter's like, oh my gosh, here we go, right? Peter, let's have a little chat. You know, do you love me? He asks him three times, and Peter's heart is breaking. He's like, Lord, you know I love you, right? They get through that whole process. They're restored. Maybe there was a hug. And Peter looks at Jesus, and he says, Is it true what they say about John? And Jesus just says, Peter, I'm paraphrasing, of course, mind your own business. What I, what, what John is called to has nothing to do with you. To quote Coach Prime, that man's blessings don't have anything to do with my blessings. He was talking about a coach the other day. I thought that was great. We don't, God gives us what we need. We don't need to be comparing ourselves to others. Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. So many times I found in my life that when I'm losing my joy, I'm comparing myself to some expectation I've put in my mind or what other people have. And that's really not my business. But it's hard for us. We have to discipline ourselves. We live in a, in a culture where the best that has ever been is served up to us through digital media, and we are seeing everybody else, the curated form of the best in front of us. And we've got marketers trying to stimulate an appetite in us for their stuff. And so if we're not careful, we fall into this trap of living in comparison, in feeling envy. And gratitude will help us get past that. Can anybody relate to that point in here? Just checking. Because gratitude causes us to look at God as our provider, as our sustainer, as our lifter of our head, as the one who knows me by name and who gives me exactly what I need, including the trials. We pray for guidance. This is another sermon. We pray for guidance and we think it's going to come in a typewritten memo, right? And we're going to carefully consider it and then get back to the Lord after our deliberation. But the truth is the guidance that our loving Father gives to us comes to us many times dressed up like distress, disruption, disappointment. 
But when we connect with the fact that we have a loving God who only gives us what we need to complete the work he started in us, to sanctify us for his use, it makes it a little easier to be grateful even when things don't feel like they're going well. We're not grateful just when it's unicorns and roses. We're grateful because of what God says is true. I have a affirmation, and I don't want to overstate like I do this every day because I don't, but I have it written in my annual planner. It says, I celebrate the gifts and successes of others without envy or comparison. Because that's how I want to be. I want to celebrate the gifts and success of, of others without envy or comparison. That's not easy for me. I have to work at it. These are the kind of things that can find their way into your life as a gratitude practice. I don't know what you wrestle with, you do, but I would encourage you, be thinking about how you can cultivate gratitude. Gratitude is an, an, is an antidote to anxiety and fear. When we take the moment to think about what God has done and we reflect on his faithfulness, when we reflect on the fact that these blessings that flowed into our life and we ask ourselves, how many of these were because of the strength of my own hand? And we realize none. It makes it a little easier to trust that that same father that has carried you this far is going to carry you safely home to deliver you as he has promised. You have been promised that he who began a good work in you will finish it. And when we reflect on the faithfulness of God through gratitude, it begins to relax some of that, those feelings we have around anxiety and, and fear. I have a phrase I've been wrestling with for a little while is, I'm living on borrowed time. You know, I've had people that I'm close with have passed in the last few months. I remember one time we were finishing a workout, and we were just reflecting. And I think in that week, several of us have had people that we knew had passed away. And it was just overwhelming, like, the sense that we're all on borrowed time. None of us is promised tomorrow. The Apostle Paul wrote, and I have this in a slide, in 1 Corinthians 4.7. What do you have that you have not received? And if you received it, why do you boast? What have I now I have not received but from my master's hand? That's not in the Bible, but it's a good quote. What have I now that I have not received but from my master's hand? Gratitude is an antidote to pride. And they say that pride is that original sin that happened in heaven, perhaps before, well, before the creation of man. It reorients us to the fact that everything we have is a gift. And as we said, gratitude is appreciating a gift received. Gratitude is a gateway as well. It's not just an antidote. It's a gateway. And so we'll finish on a high note. 
It's a gateway to grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved, and that by faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And even that faith that we exercise, we didn't come up with that faith. God gave us that gift of faith. Gratitude is a gateway to peace. In that same chapter where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ. In the same chapter when he says, I've learned the secret of being content through all the different drama that Paul had to go through. He writes these words in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 as we begin to close. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then he tells us what to think about. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I might plug in and breathe them back to God as you were thinking about the things in your life that are the good things. Breathe those back to God in prayer, and it will change you. And then the scripture continues in 4.9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I believe that prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude and that thinking is a gateway to peace. So in closing, you know, maybe you're here this morning and you're not even certain that you're in God's family. Um, Perhaps God's speaking to you about your obedience. Maybe you have an awareness that you don't follow the rules of God. Well, uh, maybe you're coming to the conclusion that I came to, which is I couldn't live for God without God. It's pretty hard to actually, it's impossible to do. It's not just pretty hard. It's impossible. And if you're frustrated and you feel like you're on the outside looking in today, I want to invite you to the family. And you get to the family, you're able to live for God when God does a work in you. It starts with admitting your need for God, confessing your sins, turning from those sins, and God promises that he will forgive you, that he will send his spirit to empower you to live that life you've always wanted to live, but you cannot do it in your own strength. You were never intended to do it in your own strength. And today may be the day where you allow Jesus to accomplish in you what you could never accomplish or do on your own. And I hope that it is. Or maybe you're here today and and you feel as though you've let the, the legitimate cares and needs of this world consume you to the point you feel like you're just too busy making it all work to properly and regularly appreciate what God has already done for you.
let me encourage you, press pause, take a moment to appreciate, to value just exactly what the Lord has done for you personally, what he's promised you. Remember, when it's time to adjust your level of gratitude, all you need to do is remember the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. Just reflect on God's love and Christ's sacrifice and your salvation and the, all the domains that he's given you to live out this life. Pray a prayer of gratitude, and you'll experience a change of heart because you'll reorient to everything that's true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise your name because you initiated salvation and life itself, and you extend it to us through your son Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are in this room today that don't yet know you, that haven't been redeemed and changed and transformed by your spirit. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself, and I pray for hearts that would be willing to receive the gift of eternal life, Lord. Father, we pray, um, and we ask for forgiveness, Lord, for being people sometimes that chase the gift uh, and forget the giver of the gift, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would instruct our hearts, that you would reorient us to truth, as we've talked about this morning, Lord, and that we would be people marked by gratitude. Help each of us, Lord, to have specific things, Lord, that you would bring to our attention, areas of correction, Lord, as your word says that you correct and chastise the ones you love, Lord. In this area, Lord, we invite you, correct us, instruct us, Lord. We know that your ways are gentle and that your hand is loving. Father, we pray that you would infuse us with gratitude, that we would walk in great humility, and that we would share your love with others. And we thank you for this time we get to share together today. We pray in your name, Jesus. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, Visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.